The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People of one kind of flesh, animals of another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, 
because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is God's word. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? Let me lead us in prayer as we begin together. Our great God and Father, today we celebrate the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And for those of us who trust in him, we can look forward to that too. And how wonderfully exciting that new resurrection life will be. Excite us with that, we pray, so that we give ourselves to the labour of the Lord. Here and now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, last week, as you looked at the section before in, in 1 Corinthians, someone asked the, to my mind, very sensible question in the uh, the live Q&A uh, afterwards, um, why isn't this life enough? I, I enjoy life. I think I'd be quite content if when I died, that's it. Uh, there's no more. Well, I thought it was actually a Christian ask, asking that question, but I think it's a very common question that people ask. I mean, this life is good, isn't it? If this is all there is, 70, 80 years, I'm happy with that. I've had a good life, ready to go, some will say. No, I get that. It's a very normal, natural question. But this passage that's just been read, it does want us to get excited about what is to come. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this in a letter, says, if you only think in terms of your 70, 80 years, your thinking is too small. Let me put it in these terms, a little thought experiment for you. Uh, Imagine in our current lockdown, uh, one day at home, you uh, crack your head on a cupboard or something and you suffer an extreme amnesia. And it's not, you don't think, well, I can't go to hospital. They're too busy. Um, so you've got this extreme amnesia. You can remember very, very little or very selectively. And yours is a strange house. Remember, it's an experiment. A strange house. There's no TV. There's no internet. You do have the radio. Uh, you have that and a telephone. And uh, you hear on the radio and people tell you on the telephone of things you've never, to your mind, experienced. They say, oh, how wonderful it will be again to swim in the sea. And you say, what's that? How wonderful it will be to see a fantastic mountain range, to climb some rocks. And you say, what's that? People get annoyed with you and say, well, don't you look forward to some of the physical things we'll be able to do when we break out of our houses uh, and we can, I don't know, go riding a horse. How exhilarating that would be, particularly if you've never done it and would fall off. Um, how amazing to, to travel at speed across the ocean in a boat of some kind and have the wind blowing through your hair. More exciting for some of you than me. How amazing those things will be. And you say... Well, I don't really know what you're talking about. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But to be honest, I like my house. It's a nice house. Here I am and I've got food and I can listen to things on the radio. I'm content. Who cares if there's a world outside of the house? I'm quite happy as I am. Now, that'd be a pretty bizarre scenario. But how tragic. How tragic that would be, because you'd only live for your house 
you'd invest everything in your house. You'd spend hours gazing through catalogues and buying new things for your house, which is fine for the next few months. I mean, you've got to buy some things to cope in this lockdown. We bought a skipping rope. That's probably the best value for money thing uh, we've invested in. Um, all of us will probably have one or two daft purchases uh, at the end of this time. But you've got to buy some things to cope in this lockdown. But we know it's only for a short period of time, really, a few months. And then there's decades of normal life. To only think in terms of this small housebound existence, that would be but be terribly small-minded. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is saying, you don't be too easily pleased just with this world. Don't think too small. You need to understand how wonderful the life to come is and invest in that life now. You'll never regret it. We're heading to uh, verse 58 at the end of our passage. Here's going to be the main point or application. He'll say, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Nothing you do for Jesus is wasted. But a life with no regard for eternity, you could waste a lot of time. We'll work through it at three sections and then we'll get to that conclusion. So Paul's going to talk about being clothed. So we're going to be clothed in splendour, verses 35 to 44. Clothed like Jesus, verses 45 to 49. Clothed in immortality, verses 50 to 57. Uh, and his point will be, so live now for eternity. Invest in eternity. Let's work through those three, though. It's plenty here. We'll only just sort of skim the surface. You can ask details afterwards in the Q&A if you desire. Well, first then, uh, verses 35 to 44, our bodies will be clothed in splendour. Question gets asked at uh, verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? His response, verse 36, how foolish. That seems a little bit harsh. I think it's a natural sort of question to ask. OK, so we'll get new bodies. What will they be like? Um, how old will I be in the new creation? Do I get to choose? About 30 would be nice. Um, oh, no, hold on a minute. I want the wisdom of old age, but the body of a... Can I do that? Those are natural sort of questions to ask. However, earlier on, if we've read through the whole chapter, it's very obvious that some in the town of Corinth are mocking this idea of resurrection life. So that seems to be the tone of this question, verse 35. <laughs> Can it be? What sort of bodies do we get? Paul says, how foolish. And then he makes a number of little points here. The first, at verses 37 to 38, seeds don't look like plants, is his point. So verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Literally, you plant a naked seed perhaps a wheat or something else, but God gives it a body, as he determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. You'd never guess that a seed would grow into a plant. Okay, it's low budget because uh, we're in lockdown, but uh, here's one seed, can you see it? Fell off a loaf of bread. Um, but you'd never guess that a seed grows into a plant, like my beloved pot plant here. You'd never guess that. You'd never guess, similarly, that an acorn 
becomes a mighty oak. You never guess that an embryo in here in just a few weeks can become a very handsome man a few years later. You'd never guess that. The contrast is massive, isn't it, between what is truly, I mean, there's, there's a patterning. It's the same thing, acorn to oak, embryo to fully grown man. But you never guess from looking at them. And Paul's saying, but you never guess just from looking at your, your, your frail human body, how wonderful it's going to be. You'd never guess that. Then he says, look, also not all flesh is the same, verse 39. Verse 39, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. The splendour of the heavenly bodies of one kind, the splendour of the earthly bodies of another kind. The sun has one kind, the moon another. He says, look, just look at creation. There's quite a lot of variety there. If you can't imagine that our heavenly, our resurrection bodies are so much greater than this one, if you don't even look around the planet, fish, birds, they're quite different. You know, you, you have seen that, haven't you? And earthly creatures are very different from heavenly bodies, the Sorry, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, they're all quite different. And then he pushes that one a little bit further. There's a gulf between the glory or splendour of a bunny rabbit on earth and the sun in the sky. One is nice, one is magnificent, gives life to all sorts of other planets like ours. There's a gulf. And so he says, verse 42, so it'll be with the resurrection of our bodies. They'll have a glory or splendour analogous to the stars in the sky compared to a bunny rabbit on earth. That's our resurrection bodies compared to our physical, frail bodies here and now. And then we get all these contrasts in verse 42. I mean, they're quite some contrasts, aren't they? So it'll be with the resurrection of body. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. Well, we know that. Our bodies fade. They decay. That's what they're doing. It's uh, the same word here as in Romans chapter 8, where the creation is said to be in bondage to decay. We get that. Last month, I started wearing glasses for the first time to read. It's amazing. Everything's much clearer now. Should have done it earlier. I have to go to the physio every now and again for a, for the creaks of old age. Not old age, but uh, of ageing. We know our bodies are decaying. They're perishable. They'll be then imperishable. That's what they're like. Then a couple of contrasts of status, I think. Verse 43. Uh, our bodies now, are, they're sown in dishonour, but raised in glory. To be dishonoured in Greek culture is to have a lack of rights. You're a stateless person. So I don't know what sort of status you have in society now, whether you're entitled, ennobled, um, whether you're super, one of the super rich, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. Now you're... The level of a stateless, rightless asylum seeker compared to the honour, glory of then. Uh, similarly, 
uh, a body sown in weakness now, but raised in power. Again, I think is a mark of status. Uh, Jesus described uh, when he's raised in uh, Romans chapter one as son of God in power. It's a status thing. And then this last contrast, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body, verse 44. A spiritual body, not meaning lacking physicality, but our bodies now are, are naturally functioning. Then they're spiritually empowered. It's the difference, perhaps, between a kite floating in the wind and a jet engine with a huge amount of force and power to it. It's the power that animates. Now it's just natural. Then it's God. Spiritually empowering is the difference. But do you see what all of these contrasts are saying? Yeah, there's similarity between bodies now and, and then, but also there's radical transformation, radical difference. The uh, writer C.S. Lewis uh, puts it well uh, in a famous sermon that he gave uh, many years ago, The Weight of Glory. He put it like this. Remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. The Lord will make the feeblest and filthiest of us a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. Just rephrasing what Paul is saying here. What a gulf there'll be. Our bodies will be clothed with splendour then. Yeah, there's similarity, but golly, the gulf, the radical transformation between what we have now and what we'll have then. Our bodies will be clothed in splendour. Second little chunk, our bodies will be clothed like Jesus, verses 45 to 49. Now, again, a little dense section, but let me try and uh, uh, skim across, draw out the highlights here. Paul takes this idea of natural body, what we've got now, and spiritual, that is empowered by God's spirit, and says that started now for the Christian. So, verse 45, it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Adam, all the way at the beginning of the Bible, a living being, also described, verse 47, as a man of dust. But the second man, Jesus, or as he's called here, the last Adam, is a life-giving spirit. He's a, verse 47, he's the second man of heaven. And so the contrast here is being drawn now between living naturally and then living empowered by Jesus. So that impact can begin to make a difference now if you're a Christian. Similar to where Paul would write elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, slowly, 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 slowly. You can begin to live in God's power here and now, yes. But, but verse 49 then looks to the future again. Verse 49, and just as we have borne or worn the image of the earthly man, that's what we're doing now, so shall we in the future 
bear the image of the heavenly man. One day we'll be clothed like Jesus's. That is both in his character, but also in his resurrection body. We'll have one like him. And of course, he's the first one who's done this, being raised from the dead to immortal life. So the limited, admittedly, but the bits we have in the four gospel accounts, the lives of Jesus, describing what he's like after he's raised from the dead, they tell us what we'll be like. And so, yeah, there's, there's continuity. After Jesus was raised, he could be touched. He's physical. He ate. He drank. He drank. He drank. So there's continuity there, yes, but also difference. So at first, Jesus is not recognised by his disciples. There's, his body is clearly a bit different. It takes a while. Oh, yeah, oh, it's Jesus, isn't it? He can appear and disappear at will. Different. He ascends to heaven, sort of flies up. I mean, will we be able to do those things? Appear, disappear, fly? I don't know. Slightly speculative. But Paul's point is, our bodies then are wildly better than what we have here and now. Maintaining our own personalities, so I'll still be Matt and you'll still be whoever, will become like him. It's wonderful. So our bodies, uh, they'll be clothed in splendour, they'll be clothed like Jesus. Uh, last little chunk, they'll be clothed in immortality, verses 50 to 57. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, verse 50, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of, of kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's not just that our bodies are brought back together, decomposing bits are, are grabbed, you know, they've got to grab a bone from here and a bone from there and pull it all. It's not. It's radically different. The perishable can't inherit the imperishable. We're not talking about resuscitation of corpses, but rather verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery, something that has to be revealed to you, you can't work it out. We'll not all sleep, that is die, but we all, will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Fantastic. Will be verse 53. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. The mortal with immortality will be clothed with immortality. Again, this picture of putting on something new. We're relatively naked. Then we'll be clothed with splendor, Jesus, immortality. That's amazing. It is amazing. Paul backs this up with two quotes from the Old Testament, two triumphant passages. Uh, so verse 54, uh, quoting from Isaiah, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Can you imagine a more complete victory than that? Something that you've been scared of, nervous of, uh, feared, just gone. Just, uh, here we go, this little blueberry. Imagine this is the thing you've Death becomes like this, something that scares you, something that you're nervous of, and then all of a sudden, gone. Oh, complete and total 
conquest. That's what happens to death at the end of history. Or again, verse 55, quoting from Hosea, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's, it's the mocking cry of a, of a crowd at a football match. Go, whoa, whoa, we're 10-0 up and we're going to win. And you go, who are you? Total confidence. Again, verse 56, this picture of the sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin. The power of sin is the law. The picture here is... It's a little bit like this. Uh, imagine a small child, well, not small, uh, but a small child. Uh, they're in their garden and there's a massive fat bumblebee is buzzing around. Daddy, daddy, mummy, mummy, I'm scared of the bee. It's a massive fat thing. I mean, quite slow in truth, but the, the child is terrified of it. And so the parent comes along and says, come here, come here, come here, and wraps their arms around the child and then sort of annoys the bee, and the bee stings, and then just keeps buzzing around. And the parent says to the child, it's fine. The bee can't harm you now. Look, the sting's gone into me. He'll make the noise, he may fly in your face, but he can do you no harm. And the Christian knows that truth. That when Jesus died upon the cross that Good Friday, he took into himself the sting of death because he took sin. All the things that you've done wrong, I've done wrong. He took them into himself and the punishment that was due them. And so now says, yeah, okay, physically, you will die. All of us will die. But you don't need to be scared of death. I've taken the sting of death and risen again. If you trust me, you'll rise again with me to this glorious resurrection. Wonderful. So for the Christian, dying is just falling asleep and will be raised with him. Do you have that confidence? I'd love you to have that level of confidence in the face of death. Our bodies then, our bodies will be clothed in splendour, clothed like Jesus, clothed in immortality. Are you excited, Paul wants to say to you, are you excited about this life to come? Not just fixated on this small world here and now, but thinking about eternity and how much better we will be, how much better it will be. Are you excited? If so, live for eternity. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. If you're a Christian, keep going. Stand firm. Let nothing move you from this solid hope, because it's grounded in Jesus' resurrection. And we have so much evidence for that. If you're not a Christian, trust him. Trust that he's taken the sting of sin death for you and then your own death can have no fear no hold over you because you know you'll live again with him and knowing this give yourself says Paul to the work of the Lord it is not in vain or to put that positively it is profitable 
It counts. It lasts. At the work of the Lord? Well, I guess earlier in this letter, he's explicit, perhaps the best little section on it is chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. The labour or the work of the Lord is that of growing his church. But there's probably a slightly broader sense of anything you do for Jesus at cost to yourself. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. Building his church, anything you do to build his church, not in vain. It's profitable. When you know what the future holds, it does affect what you do here and now. If you would know, for example, that in March the world will go into this extraordinary lockdown, if you'd have known that at Christmas this year, you'd have done things a bit differently, wouldn't you? Probably would have bought some shares in Zoom or Amazon or companies that are doing well at the moment. Probably would have done that. Probably would have sold everything uh, in January and then bought it back again, uh, every asset. Uh, um, you'd have got to made some money. That You'd have done things differently. Uh, today, Easter Sunday, I'm meant to be in Australia, speaking at a conference. And I spent some time working on the stuff for that conference. And we were going to have family as a holiday afterwards for a week. And we daydreamed and we spent some time researching stuff about where we'd go on holiday. Well, that was a little waste of time. Wouldn't have done any of that had we known that we'd be in lockdown and certainly not leaving central London. And all of us, to a certain extent, will have that. When we with this stuff, we'd spent time working on planning, which will never come to fruition now. If you know what the future holds, it must affect where you invest your time, energy, labour, now. When you know that there's this wonderful resurrection life, you invest now for eternity. Of course we do. Knowing that your labour for the Lord is not in vain. So this Easter Sunday, let me encourage you, be excited about what's to come. We celebrate Jesus risen. We know that we'll be raised with him if we trust him. And it's going to be sensational. So labour for him here and now. It's not in vain. It's profitable. You'll be thrilled that you do. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that you, you wanted to leave us in no doubt that the life to come is miles better than what we have here and now. So much greater, so such a radical transformation. Yes, there's familiarity and it's all recognisable, the new creation, the next world. but so much greater than this one. How we long for bodies that are imperishable, powerful, glorious, like Jesus. And so, Father, keep us looking forward to that, grounded upon his, Jesus's resurrection. And would we labour for you? Pray it in his name. Amen.